Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your brother Hussein Kamani. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free, and your donation ensures we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has thousands of listeners, so the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting our efforts is endless. You never know who will be able to benefit from your donation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept, and jazakumullahu khairan. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi al-ladhin astafa. Khususan ala Sayyidi al-Rusuli wa Khatami al-Anbiya wa ala alihi al-Askiya wa ashabihi al-Atqiya amma ba'd. In our previous class, we were discussing the life of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam and how Musa alayhi salam out of necessity was required to relocate from Egypt to Madian. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened up some pathways for him. And he began to live in Madian and serve his soon-to-be father-in-law. And this became a beautiful opportunity for Musa alayhi Now in the Qur'an we're told that his father-in-law placed two proposals in front of him. That either you work for eight years, or ideally, you can serve and work for ten years. The Prophet ﷺ tells us that Musa ﷺ completed the most complete form of the agreement he had in Madian, which means he served the full ten years. There are a few lessons that we learn from this. One of the things that we learn is that even the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had to grind in life to get somewhere. Things don't come easy. Musa alayhi salam was in a very difficult position. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala delivered opportunity to him, but he had to work for that opportunity. Money, family, these things don't come served on a silver platter. In Arabic they say, man jadda wajad, the one who puts effort into something will receive something in return. You know, without putting effort into something, you can't expect anything. One of the things our teachers would say very regularly in class, it's like a statement that stuck with me. And it was that every success requires a sacrifice. And we see Sayyidina Musa salam, this great prophet of Allah, who will be from the prophets who is mentioned most frequently in the Qur'an, who will be the prophet who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to directly, who will be the prophet at whose hands Pharaoh will come down um, you know, this, he will be destroyed, he will be trampled. This Prophet of Allah is also made to work hard and sacrifice. Musa salam grew up in the palace of Pharaoh, but it's not in palaces that tarbiyah is done. Nurturing doesn't happen in palaces, it doesn't happen in luxury. It happens when you're on the ground with that elbow grease and you're working away. We also see that Musa salam spent 10 years of his life as a shepherd taking care of animals. And this is something that's a common theme within the life of many of the Prophets. The Prophet actually tells us that every Prophet served a portion of their life as a shepherd. Because it's with these animals that you learn patience. There is no intellectual discussion. Um, taking care of a child who's eight years old is much easier in terms of taking care of a child who's two years old. Now they all have their unique challenges. I'm not saying that it's easy to have an eight-year-old child, but there's still some conversation. Why are you upset? 
Why are you crying? Is there pain in your body? Let's talk about the pain. A two-year-old child, you can't have any of these conversations. The more conversations you try to have, the more frustration it'll cause. And this is the reality of animals. That you can try to reason and provide all the logic you want, but there is no conversation with animals. And therefore, there remains the responsibility of the shepherd to either kill the animal, end the relationship right there, abandon the animal, again, end the relationship, or maintain the relationship and develop in yourself the characteristics that you will need to work with people, with people who are incoherent. To work with people who may not be willing to budge, who, who may not be willing to accept your message, your cause. And this is the essence of da'wah. Da'wah isn't you present, others accept. That might be in an ideal scenario. Most of da'wah you are presenting, others are rejecting. And now the question is, do you walk away or do you continue? Do you continue to be patient? And Musa salam is prepared for the long journey of da'wah that's ahead of him. He has to do da'wah to the people of Egypt. And when he leaves Egypt and he begins to travel back to the Holy Land with Banu Israel, there's a lot of work he's going to need to do on them as well. And he'll find stubbornness in his people. He will find his people not be willing to accept. He will find his people creating loopholes, backing out. But that's how animals are. That's how human beings are. You have to remain patient with them. You just can't give up. The next thing that we learn is that Musa salam was offered two options by his father-in-law. Either give eight years, or if you offer ten years, that's even better. He wasn't obliged in any way to complete the ten years. But yet the Messenger wasallam told us that Musa salam completed his task and his responsibility in the most complete form. From this we learn ihsan in the workspace. That don't just do the bare minimum. Go above and beyond. Do the extra. You know, you're told to do one task, do two tasks. Don't waste your time. Unfortunately, this is common. Um, people waste corporate hours. They use corporate material for personal gains. Now, if your workspace is okay with you doing that, that's one thing. But keep in mind that for every minute you are working, you are accountable for that. There's an accountability with your employer in this world, and ultimately there's accountability with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for not wasting. We've seen in our teachers and in our mashayikh, they were very particular when it came to personal versus official. You know, Sheikh um, Yahya Kandahla who was the father of Sheikh Zakaria Kandahla he would take his lunch to the madrasa with him. And he would tell his students to heat his lunch up. And what, what he would tell them to do was to take the pot or the tiffin in which his lunch was and place it next to the water heater. And the steam that was... That was, that, was, um, that, that was being let off from the water heater is what would heat his food up. And even then, he would pay the madrasa for that. Even though it was heat an energy that would just dissipate, that would just go missing, go, go away. But he felt that this was something that he was using for his personal usage, warming up his food. And this was money that he was using that was waqf, that the heat was from waqf, waqf. It, it was money that people gave for the sake of Allah. And this required him to compensate back to the madrasa for what he used for his personal gains. The mashayikh and ulama, when they would come to teach, they would carry two pens. One pen was for the madrasa work, and one pen was for personal work. If anyone asked them for their number, they would pull out the pen for their personal work, and they would write the number with that pen. Because they feared that what if I use a pen that was for the sake of the deen, that was waqf, for my personal gains. Always have ihsan. 
Musa alayhi salam had an option of eight years, but he did ten years. And ten years is not easy, by the way. I mean, two years extra is a significant amount. That's, you know, you're almost through your college degree at this point. But he gave those two years anyway because this is what a prophet of Allah does. He lives by ihsan, he lives by example. At the end of the ten years, Musa alayhi salam longed to see his family. And he sought permission from Shu'ib alayhi salam to go back. Wahab bin Munabih says, إِسْتَأْذَنَ مُوسَى شُعِيبًا فِي الرُّجُوعِ إِلَىٰ وَالِدَتِهِ فَأَذِنَ لَهُ فَخَرَجَ بِأَهْلِهِ وَغَنَمِهِ وَوُلِدَ لَهُ فِي الطَّرِيقِ غُلَامٌ فِي لَيْلَةٍ شَاتِيَا بَارِدًا مُثْلِجًا وَقَدْ حَادَ عَلَى الطَّرِيقِ وَتَفَرَّقَتْ مَاشِيَتُهُ فَقَدَحَ مُوسَى النَّارِ فَلَمْ تُورِ الْمِقْدَحَةُ شَيْئًا إِذْ بَصُرَ بِنَارٍ بَعِيدٍ عَلَى يَسَارِ الطَّرِيقِ فَقَالَ لِأَهْلِهِ أُمْكُثُوا أَيْ أَقِيمُوا مَكَانَكُمْ إِنِّي آنَسْتُ نَارًا So he narrates, Wahab bin Munabbas narrates that Musa alayhi salam sought permission from Shu'ib alayhi salam to go back and visit his mother. He longed to visit his mother. Shu'ib alayhi salam granted him permission, so he left Madian with his family and his flock. And it was on the path, وَوُلِدَ لَهُ فِي الطَّرِيقِ غُلَامٌ فِي لَيْلَةٍ شَاتِيَا بَارِدًا مُثْلِجًا That it was on the way back that his wife delivered a child. And it was a very dark, cold, snowy night. Musa alayhi salam tried to... Um, his animals scattered everywhere, and then he tried to light a fire for his wife and for his animals, but nothing was sticking. Nothing was lighting. You know, when it's very cold, you light a match, and what happens? It's gone. He lights it again, the wind blows it out. And Musa alayhi salam was desperately in need for some warmth. His wife was in need for some warmth. He wanted some light so he can see in this dark night. And then to the side of the road, he saw some light. And he said to his family, Umkuthu, stay here. Inni anastu nara. I've seen some fire there. Musa alayhi salam, Ibn Abbas radiallahu an says that, فَلَمَّا تَوَجَّهَ نَحْوَ النَّارِ فَإِذَا النَّارُ بِشَجْرَةٍ فَوَقَفَ مُتَعَجِّبًا مِنْ حُسْنِ ذَلِكَ الذَّوْءِ وَشِدَّةِ خُضْرَةِ تِلْكَ الشَّجْرَةِ فَلَا شِدَّةُ حَرِّ النَّارِ تُغَيِّرُ حُسْنَ خَضْرَةِ الشَّجْرَةِ He says that, Ibn Abbas says that Musa went towards the fire and when he came he saw there was a tree, a bush. And right by that was the fire. But the fire was such that it wasn't burning the bush. It wasn't burning the tree. It was just so bright and it was so beautiful that the brightness of this fire caused the tree's greenery to even come out more. And this created ta'ajub and an, an awe in Musa alayhi salam. Now when Musa alayhi salam enters into this valley and sees this unique fire that it's bright but it's not burning anything, he's kind of amazed and puzzled, what is going on here? And that's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduces what's going on. Inni anarabbuk. O Musa, I am your Lord. Musa alayhi salam is told who he's speaking to. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands him, فَخْلَعْنَا عَلَيْكَ So take your footwear off. فَخْلَعْنَا عَلَيْكَ Then Allah introduces him where they are. So first, who he's meeting with? إِنِّي أَنَا رَبُّكَ Immediately Allah says, you're in front of your Lord. So the adab is, take your footwear off. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him where he is. فَخْلَعْنَا إِنَّكَ بِالْوَادِ الْمُقَدَّسِ تُوَى You are in the um, sacred valley of Tuwa. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him what he's doing here. وَأَنَخْتَرْتُكَ فَاسْتَمِعْ لِمَا يُحَا Now in the ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first of all says, إِنِّي أَنَا رَبُّكَ That I am your Lord. 
Musa alayhi salam was puzzled and now it started all making sense. Because Musa alayhi salam was on the religion of his grandfather Yusuf alayhi salam who brought Banu Israel to Egypt. This was the religion that he was on. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, take off your footwear. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell him to take off his footwear? The ulama have differed in opinion on the cause behind Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanding Musa salam to take off his footwear. What is, let's first of all discuss the words, Ikhla' means inza, take off. Na'alayk, annalu ma ja'altahu wiqayatan liqadamayka min al-ard. Na'al refers to anything that you place on your foot to protect it from the earth, which is usually like a sandal. In those times, people generally didn't wear shoes. A lot of it was just loose footwear. But if it's shoe or na'al can generally refer to a sandal and a, um, and a slipper too. So why was he told to take it off? There are different, different opinions. فَقِيلَ أُمِرَ بِطَرْحِ النَّعْلَيْنِ لِأَنَّهَا نَجِسَةٌ إِذْ هِيَ مِنْ جِلْدٍ غَيْرِ مُذَكَّةٌ قَالَهُ كَعْبُ وَإِكْرِمَ وَقَتَادَ كَعْبُ وَإِكْرِمَ and قَتَادَ say the reason why he was told to take off his sandals was because they were made of impure, um, it was made from an impure animal and the leather of that animal was not purified and since he was in such a pure gathering and a pure place about to be blessed with revelation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him to remove that impurity. And this is one of the earliest commands given by Allah to Musa salam, And it's a similar command given to, given to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the Prophet, وَثِيَابَكَ فَطَهِرَ And purify your garments, because this is the state a Nabi must be in when receiving revelation. This is the state a believer must be in when they read the Qur'an. وَثِيَابَكَ فَطَهِرَ rujasa. Fahjur and impurity, you must distance yourself from it, you must leave it. Other ulama they say, Waqila, Umira Bidalika Lianala Barakatal Wadi al Mukaddas, Watamasa Kadamahu Turbatal Wadi, Kalahu Ali ibn Abi Talib, Wahasan Wabnu Juraj. Ali ibn Abi Talib, Hassan al Basri, and Ibn Juraj say the reason why Allah told him to take his footwear off was so that his feet can benefit from the blessed soil of the wadi of Tuwa. So his feet can make contact with them. This was a blessed place. Why would a Prophet of Allah block himself from the blessed soil of Tuwa by wearing footwear? Therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him, remove it. وَقِيلَ It is also said, أُمِرَ بِخَلْعِ النَّعْلَيْنِ لِلْخُشُوعِ وَالتَّوَاضُعِ عِنْدَ مُنَاجَةِ اللَّهِ عِنْدَ مُنَاجَاتِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him to take off his footwear so he can have sincerity and focus while interacting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When a person is wearing footwear, it creates a restraint on the feet which could also cause like a level of tension. That's why you'll find a lot of people who are into meditation, they emphasize the importance of taking off your footwear. The Prophet said, That when you eat, take off your footwear. When you eat, take off your footwear. Why? Because it causes more comfort and peace to your feet. When a person's foot is free, now rather than being worried about, you know, whatever it is that's disturbing you with a constraint on your foot, there's, there's an opportunity to commit with khushu' and khulu' and tawadu' humbleness 
in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَكَذَلِكَ فَعَلَ السَّلَفُ حِينَ طَافُوا بِالْبَيْتِ And this is exactly why the scholars of the past, when they did tawaf of the Kaaba, they took their footwear off, remembering and reflecting over this verse, over all of the possibilities that may relate to uh, why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him to take off his, uh, take off his footwear. Uh, Imam Malik rahmatullahi alayhi, acting upon this statement of, إِنَّكَ بِالْوَادِ الْمُقَدَّسِ طُوَى فَخْنَعَ عَلَيْكَ He would not ride an animal in Medina. Because he felt that how can I ride an animal in Medina on the streets in which the blessed feet of my Prophet ﷺ walked on. It is said regarding Imam Muhanifa that when he performed Hajj, he came to Medina Munawwara and stayed there for three days and said to his students, I can't stay here any longer, I'm leaving. Those who wish to come can come. And his students said, we've come all the way from Kufa and we're going to leave after just spending three days. He said, I can't stay here, I'm leaving. And they left. And when he exited Medina, the first thing Imam Abu Hanifa did was he went to the side and defecated, he relieved himself. And one of his students said, what's this? He said, I felt shame relieving myself in the city of the Prophet So this was an honor that these people had for holy lands and holy places. They made a distinction for those who, who ask, why would a person show extra honor in a specific place? Then look at the story of Musa salam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, Inni ana rabbuk. I am your Lord. Now out of all the second thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have said, He could have said, you're an awesome guy. He could have said, Fir'aun's waiting for you. He could have told him about the, the, the staff and the miracles of the hand. All of these things were great things. But the second thing is that if you're going to speak with Allah, get your adab straight. As in Persian they say, Ba'adab ba'nasib ba'adab ba'nasib. The one that has adab has something to take, ba'nasib. They have a portion to take back. But the one that has no adab and has no manners, benasib. There is no portion for that person. There's nothing to take for that person. The Arabic poet says, "Adibu anfusakum ayyuhal ashab." Oh, my dear friends, bring good adab in yourself. Bring good manners in yourself. Turuq al-ishq kulluha adab, because every pathway is love. Every pathway of love is embedded in good manners. You can't love your parents without showing good manners. You can't love your children without showing good manners. You can't love your spouse without good manners. You can't love a teacher without manners. You can't love this deen without manners. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is educating Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam who is being given such a high rank that you must first live with manners in order to make yourself worthy of the maqam of ilm, the maqam of nubuwa, and to speak with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to him, وَأَنَخْتَرْتُكَ Allah tells Musa alayhi salam what he's doing here. أَنَخْتَرْتُكَ I've selected you. فَاسْتَمِعَ لِمَا يُحَى So now listen very attentively to what will be revealed to you. Wahab bin Munabih says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Musa alayhi salam to listen very attentively. And listening attentively is the key, it's the foundation of seeking knowledge, seeking ilm. You have to learn to cut out distractions. If you keep peeking at your phone while you're seeking knowledge, you can't gain knowledge like that. If you keep opening up random tabs on your laptop while you're trying to seek knowledge, this is not how knowledge is gained. If you're listening to knowledge on the side in the background while you're just doing something else and you're distracted, this is not how knowledge is gained. Allah is telling the Prophet wasallam to Musa alayhi salam, you want to gain knowledge? فَاسْتَمِعْ لِمَا يُحَى 
undivided attention. You're in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what Salah teaches us. Fastami'a, fastami'a. Listen carefully. إِذَا قُرِئَ الْقُرْآنُ فَاسْتَمِعُوا لَهُ وَأَنصِتُوا When the Qur'an is recited, listen attentively and remain quiet. You don't need to read when the Qur'an is being recited. Learn to just be quiet. The adab, be attentive. Give it everything that you have. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Musa alayhi salam, وَأَنَا اخْتَرْتُكَ فَاسْتَمِعْ لِمَا يُحَا I've selected you. So the first thing you're going to do is a lot of listening. And this is how a student gains knowledge through a lot of listening. You have to learn to listen. If you can't listen, you have no place to speak. That what you will say will have no value, no importance at all. The world doesn't care about what you think, unless what you think is a result of what you've listened to. You have to first gain knowledge first. You have to first learn to be a good listener. Wahab bin Munabbik says, مِنْ أَدَبِ الْإِسْتِمَاعِ سُكُونُ الْجَوَارِحِ وَغَضُّ الْبَصَرِ وَإِزْغَاءُ بِالسَّمْعِ وَحُضُورُ الْعَقْلِ وَالْعَزْمُ عَلَى الْعَمَلِ وَذَلِكَ هُوَ الْإِسْتِمَاعُ كَمَا يُحِبُّ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى He says that listening, that the etiquette of listening attentively requires سُكُونُ الْجَوَارِحِ For your limbs to be in place, to not move around, for them to be calm and still. سُكُونُ الْجَوَارِحِ For your limbs to be still. وَغَضُّ الْبَصَرِ For your gaze to be lowered. You don't look around while you're paying attention. A child's in trouble, the father says, pay attention, he's looking at the ceiling. What does a dad say? Look down. You lower your gaze when you're listening attentively. And that you give your ear, you listen properly to what's being said. And your, your mind is present, it's a part of this conversation. And that you make an intention to act upon what you're learning. You have to make an intention of actions, that I will follow through with actions. 